We are in the middle of a little mini-series on the church, and I hope that that's been enjoyable for you. I hope that it's been a learning and instructing time for you. We have taken a break from the book of Matthew, which we will return to. I promise I will return. Um, We will come back. That was General MacArthur who said that. Um, I'm a student of history at some level. I think that was at the Philippines. Okay, never mind. Uh, We will come back to Matthew. That's all I meant to say. Why my weird brain thought of that, I don't know. Uh, We are going to come back, and we're going to come back to Matthew chapter 7 and conclude the Sermon on the Mount. We're right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We need to study chapter 7, and that will conclude Jesus' teaching there. And yet, right here at the year mark, we wanted to take just a few weeks, and what originally was four will now be six, and... We wanted to take just a few weeks and, and redirect our thinking to the whole of what Scripture has to say about the local church. Uh, we are at that stage where many of you are, are new here, and all of us are new at some level to Grace Church, um, relatively speaking. And so it's a great time, we thought, at this point in the year, and the Lord certainly was directing our thoughts in this direction, it would be a great time for us to take a break and to think about what we're doing And think about it as it pertains to what God has revealed about his church and what he desires for the local church. And what he desires then, obviously, for Grace Church of the Valley as one of those local expressions of the body of Christ here on earth. We've dealt with a couple of topics already. We looked first at the head of the church, which seemed to be the appropriate place to start, looking at Jesus Christ as the rightful head of this church and of every local expression of his body. It only follows that he is the supreme, he is the sovereign one, he is the ruler of Grace Church of the Valley. It is the head. And then we moved from the head to the guts and we looked at the philosophy of ministry that gives us direction, those principles, those priorities from Scripture, from the New Testament, that give us a a set of guardrails to guide us along a path that would be a biblical ministry. It would be our desire to be patterned according to Scripture as we live this life of the local church at Grace Church of the Valley. And so that implies, obviously, that we care about what the Bible says should be our priorities and our concerns. And so we looked at those ten commitments, ten ministry commitments um, that guide our our direction, they guide our decision-making, and they are really the pillars of our philosophy of ministry here at Grace. So we spent two weeks doing that, and we move now this morning into the the next and the final stage of this study, and we're going to look at the body of the local church. And so we've seen the head, we've seen the insides, that is the philosophy of ministry, and now we're going to look at the actual body. The the picture of, of the New Testament is one of a human body. You are, if you are a member of Grace Church, a human member of a spiritual body that has a visible entity here. It's called Grace Church of the Valley. And there are myriad of local churches. And yet each of them has Christ as its head and has very real components of a body as the word picture presents for us in the New Testament. So we're going to spend the next several weeks dealing with the body of the church. We're going to start with the leadership of the church And we're going to conclude with the membership of the church. And those are the two big headings for this body image that we find throughout our New Testaments and in particular in 1 Corinthians. 
I have a question for us this morning, and it's somewhat of a review question, but it is a question nonetheless that is on my mind and on my heart as we've been studying the church. And, and I want to pose it to you and ask you to consider what the answer would be that, that instantly comes to mind. And here's the question. Why, why, or for what purpose does the church exist? To narrow that down so that we can think appropriately, why or for what purpose does Grace Church of the Valley exist? Why are we gathering as a local expression of the body of Christ? It's, it's an important answer. It's an important question, but it's, it's a more crucial answer because the answer will dictate how we go about pursuing that end, if that is in fact an accurate biblical purpose or end. Why do we exist? Our New Testaments, particularly in the epistles, in particular in Ephesians, give us a picture of the redeemed of the church of Jesus Christ existing to reflect the character of God to the world around us that does not know Him. In other words, we as the body of Christ in His absence present to the world, not unlike He did in His earthly ministry. We present His character. We put on display the very nature of the God who has redeemed us for the world around us. We are here, as we've studied in Matthew, for the sole purpose ultimately of bringing glory to God, but practically as a salt and a light to the culture in which we live. That answer is critical for us because here in our community, as we think of ourselves as an expression, as a reflection, if you will, of the character of our Redeemer, it brings us then to the implication of that answer. If, if the question of why do we exist is answered with, we exist to reflect the character of the God who has redeemed us, then the implication is, is quite obvious. The implication then is that we would go to that God. We would examine His character. We would examine His wisdom. We would desire to think His thoughts after Him. We would desire for this local expression of the body of Christ to look as much like our Savior as it can. Say, why is that such an important implication? Because the common trend of our day and age is to actually look to the culture that we are supposedly informing about God and ask our culture, what should we look like? What should we act like? How should we think? Rather than, as a local expression of the body of Christ, turning to the head of the church, our Savior, and saying, what should we look like? How should we act? How should we think? What should our priorities be? What do you desire for us? This is today, and has always been, a line in the sand. Will the local churches those that are true to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, will they commit themselves to turning to the very Savior they worship 
to see how it is they are to best go about reflecting His character. Alright? In other words, if I were to boil all that down, if we exist to bring glory to God by reflecting the character of Jesus Christ to the world around us, then the how-to answers of how that's done ought to be gleaned from Him. Not from other sources, not from our own imagination, certainly not from the fallen culture in which we are existing. They are not the source of information. They are not the source of wisdom for us. But the very Savior we emulate and reflect must be the centerpiece. The centerpiece of our information about the church. Our view of where the wisdom comes from to give direction to the local church directly impacts how we go about examining and what expectations we have of this local church, Grace Church of the Valley. It is our desire, and I trust you know this, and I hope that you believe this and will continually grow in your understanding and belief, but it is our desire to allow Grace Church of the Valley to conform as much as it possibly can to what the Savior of this church has outlined for us. Sometimes, in examining what the Scriptures outline for us, we are left on an island doing something that is unpopular. We are left on an island feeling as if, are we the only ones that are doing such and such? Is there anyone else who sees this? I mean, is this really what God desires for us and has designed for us as a local church? And yet we can be confident that when we take Scripture at its plain reading and we examine the very mind of God revealed in His inspired and perfect Word, we can have confidence that He has not led us astray. He has given us exactly what He desires for His church. You say, now why all of that? Because... There is nothing more controversial potentially within the church than the issue of the leadership of the local church. I think it is one of the most unique aspects of Christ's church because the leadership model that we find in our New Testaments, that we find from the very mind of God revealed to us in His perfect inspired Word, is not a model that we have naturally seen. It is not one that our culture has embraced. It is not a model that you have had put on display for you in other venues of your life. Therefore, we must come this morning to the Scriptures, not just with a normal sense of what God says we believe, but an openness and a submission to this Word so that we are informed in our thinking and learn to love what He loves and to expect, to expect what He expects. That's our goal this morning. And I trust that you'll join me in coming to the inspired text, the living book, the all-sufficient word. That you'll come here and we'll study together and we'll submit together and our church life will reflect that we live together under the authority of the mind of God. That's what we desire. We desire that for every facet of ministry and especially this issue of leadership within the local church.
We're going to look at just two of the three distinct components. Let me give you a little bit of a heads up of where we're going in this discussion of leadership. We're going to look this morning at the roles of leadership at Grace Church and in the local church as revealed in Scripture. The roles, and then we're going to see the character of leadership. Critical aspects for us to understand. What are the roles and who are the individuals who are filling those roles? Where are they as far as their character and their qualifications? And then next Sunday... We're going to spend one Sunday just fleshing out what that leadership looks like here at Grace Church. So we're going to see the roles, then we're going to see the character, and finally we're going to look at the function of leadership here at Grace Church. What does the function, how does it actually happen, what we'll find today on the pages of our New Testament? So the roles, then the character, and then we'll finish with the function. And I trust that when we finish with the function, we will have answered questions, not generated more questions, all right, about how it is that we believe the New Testament informs us about the leadership of the church. So let's begin with the roles of leadership at Grace Church. Here's what our doctrinal statement says. If you've interacted with that at all, I'm just reading verbatim right out of our doctrinal statement. We teach that one supreme authority for the church is Christ, and that church leadership Gifts, order, discipline, and worship are all appointed through His sovereignty as found in the Scriptures. The biblically designated officers serving under Christ and over the assembly are elders and deacons, both of whom must meet biblical qualifications. We teach that these leaders lead or rule as servants of Christ and have His authority in directing the church The congregation is to submit to their leadership. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. That's the synopsis of what we teach about leadership. And I hope to to give that legs for you over the next several weeks and really give you a, a realistic perspective of what that looks like. The roles of leadership are really simple as we discuss this together for the next couple of weeks. The roles of leadership are simply pastors and deacons. There are just two roles of servant leaders within the local assembly and within our local assembly here at Grace Church of the Valley. Pastors and deacons. Let's begin with pastors. Let's just look at their role within the flock. What is their role as followers of Christ within the church? They are the under-shepherds who give direction, oversight, and equipping care to the flock. That is the membership of of the church. This is the role of pastors. Pastors throughout scripture are referred to with three distinct names. And you may know these. In fact, I'm sure you do. One is pastor, of course, that's a given. The second one is and the most common one is elder. And then the third one is bishop. And that's in your King James in your newer translations, the word is translated overseer, which is an actual translation, overseer. You have an overseer, we have a pastor, and we have an elder. A couple of key truths about those terms that need to be given here at the very front end. Those are always, or most notably through your New Testament, plural plural offices. There are elders in the church, in the local church. There are pastors, there are overseers within the church. In fact, in Philippians 1.1, Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he addresses the overseers and the deacons. 
Those are the two groups that he's addressing that letter to. He wants them to take special note of what he has said. So there is a plurality of these pastoral leaders, of these elders. And secondly, not only are they plural, but these three names are all referring to one office. So they are synonymous. They're synonyms. You do not have three separate positions or offices within the church. There are not pastors and bishops or overseers and elders. Those are all speaking to the same issue. They're all speaking to the same role, to the same official office within the church. In fact, let me show you this in your Bible. Turn back to Acts chapter 20. We started our day in God's Word there by reading it. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Let me just show you that these three names speak to the exact same office. We're going to look at these as parallels within several contexts. Here in Acts chapter 20, I think we picked up enough context that Paul is traveling. He is avoiding Ephesus because he wants to get to Jerusalem, but he really wants to see the elders from the church at Ephesus. So he has them come and meet up with him at Miletus, and he gives them some very critical instruction because it is the last words that he planned to speak to the elders at Ephesus. In verse 17, he calls them such. He says, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And then notice in verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, which is the picture of shepherding, that is the sheep and the shepherds. Pay attention to your flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, that is bishops, those who oversee the ministry, to shepherd or to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so there is an idea here that these elders are shepherds and these shepherds are overseers. Right? These are synonymous terms. Let's go forward to 1 Timothy. We're going to see this again in 1 Timothy, which we're going to spend several opportunities to come back to this morning. But 1 Timothy chapter 3. We see this same reality as an opening understanding for us. He says in verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, there's our title, there's our word for those who give leadership to the local church under Christ's headship. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. And he goes on then to describe what that person looks like in their character, and that's what we're going to come back to and study. And yet this picture is one presented to us as one who not only oversees the ministry, but throughout this, you'll see in verse 2, therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. And so this idea of oversight is presented throughout 1 Timothy 3, 1-7. Now notice just a couple pages over in Titus 1, we find almost an identical description of this overseer. He tells Titus in verse 5 of chapter 1, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint, notice the next word in chapter 5, or in verse 5 of chapter 1, that you might appoint elders in every town as I directed you. That is plural ship, or plural elders in every town as he went through Crete. And then he says in verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, children are believers and not open to charge. 
of debauchery and insubordination. Verse 7, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, holy, upright, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so as to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so we find in Titus chapter 1 and in verse Timothy chapter 3, these identical descriptors using both words. We have elders and we have overseers. We also have that third word of pastor described for us in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 12, you don't need to turn there. We find that office of pastor teacher as an equipper for the flock. The idea of a shepherd teacher. And then finally, I want to take you to one final passage, and these are kind of going to be our babies. We're going to spend a lot of time in these passages. But turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, and you'll find the final exhortation where we see these titles being used together. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, again, to the plural eldership, So I exhort the elders among you, or Peter says rather, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, which is what Peter was, as well as an apostle, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now notice verse 2, the first word, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd is the verb form of pastor. Pastor the flock of God. So elders, pastor the flock of God that is among you. And notice verse 2 in the middle, exercising oversight. That is bishoping. So in other words, Paul uses here, he says, Now listen, elders, be pastors and be overseers. These are your responsibilities. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, not out of duty, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then verse 3 says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And again, we come back to that shepherding idea. So two foundational principles about the office or the role of pastor within the local church and here at Grace Church. One, we are committed to a plurality of pastors. Number two, we recognize that in the New Testament, the term elder, overseer, and pastor are synonymous And that designates one office as the under-shepherd, the leadership of the local church. Okay? Those are the foundational principles. Now, just functionally speaking, who are these individuals here? I mean, who operates with this responsibility, which we're going to look at, who operates with this responsibility here at Grace Church? I do, David Morris does, and Dave Muxlow does. Two of us are younger elders. One of us is an elder elder. He's a double benefit. And I'll let you pick which one is which. Okay? Which one of these three stands out before you? We three provide oversight, shepherding, and we provide ultimately an eldership, uh, a guiding and leadership to this local assembly. Dave, if you're unaware... Dave Muxlow is on loan to us. This man is superhuman. He is double eldering. He is eldering at Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California, in absentia. 
and he is eldering functionally on a day-to-day basis here at Grace Church of the Valley. And we're very thankful to have him as a seasoned elder who has served Christ Church faithfully for so many years. Now, that's who, at this present time, these are the pastors of Grace Church of the Valley. Now, what do they do? What do pastors do? What are they responsible for within the church of Jesus Christ? And what are your pastors responsible for here at Grace Church? And you might think, this seems silly. And it's not silly for you to think wisely and to think biblically about what you should expect and demand from those who provide the leadership of your local church. This is critical. You need to be informed about these expectations as much as we need to be informed about what the head of the church expects from those he delegates as the leadership of the church. Now let me just give these to you. If you're taking notes, you can just jot these down. Number one, we've already seen this, they are to oversee the church. That is, they are to manage the life of the church. They are to provide oversight. The picture that we'll find in 1 Timothy 3 is that they are to manage and the contrast or the counter image is managing their household. There's an oversight responsibility. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Number two, they are to rule the church. Under the headship of Jesus Christ, they are to lead. They are to give direction. They are to make decisions and, and produce rulership within the church. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17 talks about those elders that rule well. Not only are they to rule, but they are to teach and preach. 1 Timothy 5.17 goes on to say, and those who give themselves especially to preaching and teaching. So some pastors within the local body give themselves particularly to preaching and teaching, while others still teach and preach, but in, in their emphasis give themselves potentially to the rulership. It's not a distinction, but there is a distinction in the levels of these activities. Number four, they are to be praying for the sick. James chapter 5, verse 14, if you are ill, you are to be calling for the elders to come and pray for you. They are to care for the church body, 1 Peter 5, which we just read. They are to care for the flock of God. And they are to ordain other church leaders. We find in 1 Timothy 4.14 that the eldership, the pastoral leadership of the church, realizes and ordains future leaders or additional leaders from the local church. We see that in 1 Timothy 4.14 as Paul reminds Timothy about his ordination, the elders laying on hands on Timothy, setting him aside for the work of ministry. That's the context in 1 Timothy 4.14. So that's who they are, and that's what they're responsible to do. Now I want to make one side note that has been such a blessing to me this week as I've Reread all my favorite books. I was teasing with Dave. I've got basically this church study has just let me read all my favorite books over again. So I've been having a great time. And one of the reminders that I received from reading this week was an emphasis in verse 2 of 1 Peter chapter 5. And if you're still there, there's a little phrase that ought to matter to shepherds. It ought to matter to pastors. It ought to matter to the eldership. And it ought to matter to you as the membership of Grace Church. Notice whose flock the elders, elder. Notice whose flock, the pastors, pastor. And notice whose flock, the overseers, oversee. Verse 2 begins, shepherd the flock of God. 
Paul uses the same words as Peter in Acts chapter 20. A biblical pastoral plurality does not exist as if it is their flock. Though the flock is in their charge, it is the very flock of God Himself that they are responsible for. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, paints this picture for us in painful language. In doing all these membership interviews, I've talked with some of you about this. In verse 17 of Hebrews 13, it says, Obey your leaders. This is to the congregation. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Why are they watching over the souls of God's people? Because they are those who will give, have to give an account. Recognize this? There is an accounting coming for those who pastor, those that are the elders, those that are the overseers of the church. There is an accounting coming, and it is not with you as human judges. And it is not with other pastor elders as human peer judges. It is with the very God of heaven whom we have to do. The leadership of the church gives oversight to the church. The eldership provides um, direction and rule under the headship of Christ, all with an eye to being judged by God for the stewardship, the management of the flock of God. He has entrusted a certain number of people to our care, and it is our responsibility to care well for their souls. The pastors of the church are those men who are responsible before the head, Jesus Christ, to give direction and provide servant leadership, exemplary servant leadership for the body. Okay? That is the first role of leadership at Grace Church. It is pastoral leadership. A couple of things are probably worth talking about, at least momentarily here. One is a common question of what are we going to call these leaders here at Grace Church? If you have been brought up in reform circles, maybe the Christian Reformed Church or Presbyterian Church, you're familiar with the term elder. Many of you have grown up where elders have at least existed within your Reformation family churches. Some of you have grown up with some faulty distinction between pastors and elders, and you betrayed this with your speech. I was just an elder. I was never a pastor. Um, that's a faulty way of thinking. None of you, I don't think, have grown up being bishops or having a bishop, as David has tried to get the kids to call me, Bishop Bailey, because he was trying to tell them that these three are synonymous, so I shouldn't have any problem with that. Um, please don't call me Bishop Bailey. Uh, that's just a weird name. Um, we don't want to do that. But why? What, what, what title do we pick? Here's what we're going to do. Here at Grace Church, all of these are interchangeable. I guess if you want to be biblical and you have a burn in your saddle and you want to call me bishop, I'll respond to you as bishop. Um, but particularly, we find the most common is elder. Uh, I don't know that elder within our culture right here, I don't know that that necessarily brings the right connotation to your thinking. Because elder here, generally, at least from our discussions with you, brings ideas of corporate boards or advisory councils. I sat on the elder board, and that kind of means that I made decisions for the church. But what we need to understand and what we need to grasp and expect from the leadership here is that the pastoral office and all of its components 
is shared by the plurality of the leadership who are elders or pastors. And so we're calling it pastoral team. Why? Because many of you have the right connotations when you think of a pastor. A pastor is one who teaches and preaches God's word. A pastor is one who cares for your needs, who watches over your soul, who you call upon, who takes special interest in your lives, in your development spiritually. And that is exactly what an elder is, because those terms are interchangeable. So we will have a pastoral team that will give direction to our ministry. I am a pastor. I am an elder. I am an overseer. David is likewise. Dave is likewise. I would just say by way of personal testimony that if we are serious about God's word informing us about leadership, that brings an immense amount of responsibility to even say it. This is no minor issue. This is a grouping of men who will answer to the God of heaven for the watch care and provision for you. Maybe you're just putting those pieces together. Maybe that's just coming together, but it's, it's, it's not just coming together for me. And I know because of our prayer and our desires together and our discussion together, it's not just coming together for Dave or for David. This is the most serious component of the body life of the local church because the church will never excel past its leadership. They are the ones setting the pace. They are the ones leading to the food. They are protecting the flock. This is their, this is their charge. This is their care. The second office or the second role that we find in Scripture is that of deacons. We see both of these in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and that's really where we find both of these pictures. Chapter 3, verse 1, talks about the office of overseer, that is the elder or the pastor. And then in verse 8, we see deacons likewise, that is the office of deacon, we see must be dignified, and we have a description there of their qualifications, their character. So these are the two components that make up the servant leadership of the church, pastors and deacons. Deacons, as opposed to pastors, are the special servant leaders who own the functional responsibilities of the life of the church. They give themselves to serving the functional needs of the body for the sake of, gi- of giving freedom to the eldership, to the pastoral team, to give themselves entirely to the preaching and teaching and devoting themselves to prayer and the Word. That is what deacons do. That is their function. In fact, we have prototype deacons in Acts chapter 6. We're talking really early in the church. The offices of the church are not even clearly defined, though the Jewish concept of eldership would have been a, a, a natural progression the offices have not been defined but in acts chapter 6 we find out that the church is already having issues it's already running into problems and we have the prototype the front runners to deacons within the body notice in acts chapter 6 here's the role now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number and that's comical to read that because they started with 3,000 all right They started with 3,000. They've been increasing numerically at an alarming rate. They are gathering. The church is increasing and increasing. A complaint by the Greeks, that is the Hellenists, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in a daily distribution. Here we are in this present culture in Jewish time. The widows had no way of providing for themselves. And the church was 
caring for, appropriately so, caring for the widows within the body. The problem was, the Jewish widows were getting dibs. And the Greek widows, the Gentile widows, were getting neglected. And so the Greek widows probably brought their concerns to somebody who was bold enough to go talk to the apostles who were giving direction to the church and say, hey, this isn't right. Our widows are not getting served. Notice what happens in verse 2. And the twelve, that is the, the apostles, the disciples, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now this is a bold statement. Um, most in our day would think that this verse is on its head. Most would say that it would not be right to give up serving tables to actually preach the word of God. All right? That's the social agenda that we address consistently in our day and age. Therefore, verse 3 says, Brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of, pre, of the priests even became obedient to the faith. All that to say, the prototype of the deacon is that it is a specific, special office of service that gives leadership in service functionally for the sake of freeing the pastors to give themselves to the weightiest matters that are on their plates, which is the prayer and the teaching of the word for God's people. We don't have a lot of information about deacons in our Bibles. In fact, I've just read to you 90% of what we know about deacons in Bible. And those are not even called deacons. They're just prototypes. We find Phoebe, a precious lady, a sister in Christ from the church at Kenchera, who is considered a deacon. She's a deacon of the church. That is why we have lady deacons. We also have lady deacons because of what we find in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that speaks to this issue of women in this role. Now, who are the deacons here today? Anybody wearing their deacon badge today? No, because we don't have any deacons. Um, we have deaconing people uh, in multitudes, those who give themselves, who remove responsibility functionally, not remove oversight, but remove the functional responsibility of the work of the ministry from those of us who give pastoral oversight. But we do not have, at this point, any deacons. We'll talk about that tonight in our members meeting and the direction that we're looking to take to add deacons as the leadership, the servant leadership of our church. So as of right now, there are no deacons. What do they do? They serve in such a way as to free up the pastors to give themselves to watch what is most important in the ministry of Grace Church. Now, Finally, let's conclude. What are the implications of this first point, which we didn't get to the second one, which means we're out to like seven weeks now on this study of the church? The implication is pretty clear. Pastors and deacons must operate within their God-given roles in the church. Now let me tell you why that matters. That matters because many of us, 
if not most of us, have seen these roles messed up. You have either been a part of a local congregation that had deacons who were acting as elders, or you had elders who were acting as deacons, or you didn't have either, or you had additional offices within the church. We have all come from confused backgrounds. I would think most of us have come, maybe not all of us. And so we must commit ourselves to these roles being played out according to God's plan within our local church here, Grace Church of the Valley. They must not be merged together. They must not be deleted or replaced. And they must pursue faithfulness for the sake of their head. Not only must these roles be operative, but they must be operative with qualified leadership. Now, it's, it's important for us to remember why we're coming back to Scripture to guide us in this issue of leadership. We're coming to the Scriptures because our goal is to reflect the character of our Savior. And to do so, we come to the very mind of God as to how that looks. From our New Testaments, the leadership of the local church looks like a plurality of qualified, godly men who are called pastors, elders, and overseers. That's what it looks like. But that's not democratic. You're right. Because the church is not a democracy. The church is a monarchy. The monarch is Jesus Christ. And the governing body that he has ordained to give direction and oversight and care to the flock is called the pastoral team. It is called an eldership. It is called an elder council, board, whatever title you want to make. It is a plurality of godly equipped men. Now, if that is the case, that raises, raises a very real concern. Because I don't think you're surprised to find out that I'm a sinner and that David is a sinner. And as far as we can tell, we're not quite sure Dave is a sinner too. I'm teasing. All of us are sinners. That raises a question in your mind. What and how are three sinners at this point in our church's history? How are three sinners going to give biblical and wise direction? I answered the question. Wise direction to the ministries of Grace Church of the Valley. No different than the way we found out that it was to be a plurality of leadership that gives direction to the church. We're going to come back to the scriptures. We're going to come back next week and we're going to see that God has set up a listing of qualifications, a picture, a model of what those leaders look like and You may be a great leader, but you may not be a leader within the church. You may be a person of influence, but you may not be a person of influence under the headship of Christ as a pastor, elder, overseer within the congregation. Those qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, those character traits that we see in Acts chapter 20 and in 1 Peter chapter 5, are the safeguards that provide for us the confidence that God will bless the leadership as He has ordained it, if it is in fact a biblical leadership. That is what you should expect. That is what we must, we must expect for our local church. We take leadership very seriously. And these qualities are the safeguard against 
any kind of idea of a dictatorship or an overthrow of Christ's church. Okay? These are the roles. They're pretty simple to find in Scripture. There's a lot to be said that we didn't say today. But next week we'll look at those roles and the men and women, as far as deacons go, who fill those roles. And what is the character of the leadership at Grace Church? What does God demand and what should we expect? All right? All of that brings us really to a very foundational and kind of a presupposed thought. We're doing all this talk about the church. I mean, it's, it's, I can speak for myself, it's fun. I don't speak for any of you. But it's fun to talk about the church. It's fun for me to think because I love the church and I've given my life for the church. And I know many of you are the same way. But there's a presupposed underlying assumption that's being made as we discuss this. And it could be deceptive this morning. And that is that I'm sitting here in the church. That's a deception because this is not the church. Um, This is a high school theater where the church visible gathers. And you're not in the church today unless you have been rescued from your sin and brought in by the power and saving work of God. So you may or may not be in the church today. You may have gathered with the church But let me challenge you right here in such a practical time in our church's life to think about how our church functions. Let me challenge you, no matter who you are this morning, if you are not one who has given yourself away for Jesus Christ, if you have not turned from your sin and placed your confidence in His sacrifice to pay the penalty that you deserve to pay, to die the death that you deserve to die, if you have not turned to Him and believed that He was the Son of God sent as the Savior of sinners, that He was resurrected on the third day and lives forever, if you have not embraced Him, if you do not follow Him as your Lord and Savior, you are not in the church. And yet our message, the message of all those around you who are a part of this church, the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that if you will believe, if you will repent, if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, right now, He will forgive you. He will forgive you, and you will be a part of His family, adopted in as a son or a daughter because of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the Gospel. That's the message of the church. And it is because of that message that we are so concerned to get rightly what it is that we do when we gather together as a local expression of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you're not a part of the church, and by that I don't mean you're not a member of Grace Church. You may be a member of Grace Church and not be in the church. Whatever the case, examine yourselves. Scripture is quite clear. Examine yourselves, make your calling and your choosing, your election, make it sure. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Because all of this discussion is meaningless unless it is, it is understood and applied by those who follow Jesus as Lord and Savior.